Romans 14, verses 1 through 23. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he give thanks, gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, as you probably hopefully understand, there's going to need to be some background information as to what's going on here in explaining this passage. Now, there's a couple things we need to make clear before we break these passages down. Um, first off, this passage is dealing with things that are not clearly described in Scripture as sin. Look at verse 1 again. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Another translation might say, accept him, but not to quarrel over opinions. What we're going to be talking about tonight is not things that the Bible clearly says are wrong. Sin is still sin. We're talking about what some translations call disputable matters, things that when it comes to walking with the Lord, is it okay to do this? Is it okay to do that? When the Bible says certain things are sin and clearly says they're sin, we're not calling those disputable matters. That's not what we're talking about tonight. Someone could take this section of scripture and say, well, in your mind, you think that that's a sin, but in my mind, I don't think it is. If the Bible says it's sin, it's sin, okay? But we're going to be talking tonight about 
things that are disputable, opinions about the Christian life and how we are to live it out. All right. The Jews, for example. The Jews had been raised to follow the law. And now Paul was teaching that we're not under the law anymore, but under grace. Go back to Romans chapter 7. Look again at verse 6. Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Paul says, But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit. You see, it's a capital S, the Holy Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. So the Jews... They had been taught to observe the law. Paul's saying, we're not under the law anymore. Once the law shows you your need of a Savior and the fact you can't keep it, it's done its job. It's prepared you for the Savior. Now we serve the Lord, not in the law, but in the new way of the Spirit. Now, this change of way of living was a process for the Jews, and some matured in it faster than others. Some understood this concept and this teaching faster than others, and there was a journey that they were all in being set free from the law. We're going to look at some examples of that tonight. And you're going to even see Peter was one of those people that had to learn how to grow in this understanding. Now, the new Gentile believers, the converts to Christ, had also moved from pagan worship practices into following Jesus. And many still saw anything that even looked like the old way of life as sin. And their moving into the freedom that they had in Christ was a process for them as well. And some grew in maturity faster than others in that process. There were many pagan practices that they used to be a part of in their worship of the false gods. Now they've come to believe in Jesus and there. He is the one true Lord. And there were going to be some things, we'll talk about it tonight, that Christians were doing that sure looked like, well, it was still tied to the old pagan ways. And some of the Gentile believers were like, well, why could, how could you do that? That's tied to paganism. And the mature Christians would say, but we're not, we're free. We're not in the right or wrong in that sense. We walk in Jesus and we trust him. And Paul's having to deal with the fact that as we all live our lives following Jesus, there's going to be some things that some of us go, I'm not very comfortable with that. Others are saying, I feel comfortable in that. And you have to be willing to know how to let the spirit of God and the word of God walk you through this. And as Paul said, and you're going to see tonight, the Lord is the one who's ultimately going to get us there. He then uses these two terms, the weak and the strong. The strong are those that were further along in their maturity in Christ. The weak were those who were still maturing in some of these areas. And you're going to see that as this all comes out. So, like I say, you've got two groups in the church. The Jewish people who are trying to get set free from legalism. You had the pagan or the Gentiles who are coming out of paganism and trying to understand was, can I do this? Can I do that? That sure looks a lot like paganism, that kind of a thing. And by the way, all that stuff is still being wrestled with in different parts today in the church. You can talk to Christians around the globe and some will say it's okay to celebrate Christmas. And others will say, well, I'm not really comfortable because that's got pagan roots and all that kind of stuff. And there's different levels of understanding and maturity. And we have to be careful that we don't destroy the work of God because of our opinions on some of these areas. Do you understand what I'm saying? And that's where we're going to be going tonight. Now, since there were opinions on these issues and difference of opinions, the stronger believers had a tendency to ridicule, mock, and belittle their weaker brothers and sisters because they knew more than the other people. We're further along than you. And they would look down on their brother and sister who weren't there yet. Also, the weaker brother and sisters 
tended to judge or condemn the stronger brother and sisters and make judgments about them. That, oh, I can't believe they're eating that meat that was sacrificed to idols. They're not even probably a Christian. We have to be careful. And there was this problem going on. As the Bible shows us, and hopefully you'll see by the end of tonight, the stronger you are in your walk with the Lord, the real mature ones are going to be the ones that are going to be okay with the fact that they're brothers and sisters that don't see it the way you do because you believe God will get them there. If you're going to be maturing in your walk with the Lord as a weaker brother or sister, you have to be careful you don't make yourself a judge over the brother or sister who seems to have more freedom in these areas than you do. We could get into the areas of drinking or vaccines. Yes, I said it. <laughs> Let the Lord, as you'll see, walk you through these things. Do people have strong opinions on these things? Of course they do. And as you've seen tonight, each must be fully convinced in your own mind, and you need to be doing it because you believe the Lord's told you to do it or not to do it, and you need to leave your brother and sister alone in these areas for the sake of the kingdom. Go to Romans 14 again now and look at verses 1 through 3. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him or accept him, but not to quarrel over opinions. In other words, don't become friends with them so that you can show them you're right and they're wrong. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Now let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed or accepted him. Remember, God's plan is to bring glory to himself by uniting a diverse group of people who love him and love each other. Go back to John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35 that we looked at last week. We need to be reminded of where this is coming from. John 13, verses 34 and 35 Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you what? If you have love one for another. In other words, God's design is to take a diverse group of people, not only in America, but across the globe from different nationalities and nations and cultures. And he's going to unite us as brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's going to bring glory to him in the fact that these people from so many different backgrounds and so many different cultures and so many different views on how to live life and what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, that they would love each other, even though they don't fully see every little detail the same way. There's a, a glory for God when we actually say, yes, they don't see it the way I see it, but we love each other because we're in Christ. There are certain things that separate Christians from everything else, and I'm not talking about the non-negotiables, but when it comes beyond the non-negotiables, there are Christians who don't always agree on other areas of Christian living. Would we not agree with that? God's glorified when we actually show a love for each other, even though the world knows they don't fully agree in these areas. Years ago, uh, when I was pastor here at First Baptist in the Atlantic, uh, it's too long of a story to tell, but the Methodist church in our area asked us to join with them in a program that the Methodist church had been, had, been, had and that they had been tasked with called uh, uh, Celebrate Jesus. And they were given the task of reaching all the people in a certain area here on the beach from one street to another, and they were to have a block party and all this stuff. 
Around that same time, God had been speaking to us about what our next mission project was going to be. And we felt like God was telling us not to go somewhere, but do our next mission trip the next summer here in this area. And right around that time, the pastor of the Methodist Church contacted me and said, would you guys, I know you're Baptist and we're Methodist, but would you, would you partner with us in this project? Well, God had already prepared our hearts for that. And we said, yeah, let's do it. And it was one of the neatest things to have Baptists and Methodists walking up and down the streets with little red wagons, taking prayer plants, knocking on every door, taking prayer requests, inviting people to this block party. And they say, well, what church are you from? <laughs> well, actually, we're from the Baptist church and they're from the Methodist church. And you guys are doing this together? And God blessed. It was, and those of you that were here, you know what an amazing event that turned out to be. Again, the stories that we could take tonight, telling the stories. But God was glorified because the Baptists and the Methodists were working together to tell people about Jesus. And we didn't agree on modes of baptism. I remember I, we did a joint service one time with the Methodist church. And as I was walking in, because they had all the preachers walk in special and sit up on the stage, the Methodist pastor stopped and, and uh, put his fingers in some water and then touched himself. And then he went and sat down and I just went and sat down. And I whispered to him at the beginning of the service. I said, what was that all about? He goes, that just reminds us of our baptism. And I jokingly leaned over and said, well, if you were immersed, you'd remember your baptism. But that was another story for another time. But here's the deal. You're not always going to agree, even with people in your church. The problem that's going on today is, in this cancer culture we live in, if you don't 100% agree with me, you're not my friend. You're my enemy. And folks, today's passage and today's study is necessary. In John 17, go to John 17, look at verses 20 through 23. Jesus is praying. He says, I don't ask for these only. I'm not only praying about the disciples right now, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I'm in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you gave, have, this glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Go to Revelation 22. Look at verse, sorry, 21. Revelation 21, verses 22 through 27. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the will the nations, did you catch that? In eternity there's going to be different nationalities. Will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of who? The nations. The nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, or anyone who does what's detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. In eternity, there's going to still be different nationalities. That's kind of cool. Why? Because God is glorified through the differences and the unity. Now, since we all come from so many different backgrounds and cultures, it shouldn't surprise us that we'll all grow in our knowledge of the Lord and His Word at different rates. <clears throat> and as we encourage each other to grow in our love for Jesus and what it means to follow Him, we must never forget that God is the one who helps us to understand spiritual truth 
not us. I'm going to say that to you again. As we encourage each other to grow in our love for Jesus and what it means to follow him, we must never forget that God is the one who helps us to understand spiritual truth, not us. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 22 through 26. Second Timothy chapter two, verses twenty two through twenty six. Paul says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? With gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Go to Philippians chapter 3, look at verses 12 through 16. In Philippians chapter 3, Verses 12 through 16, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and... If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Here's an apostle who could have pulled out the apostle card, capital A apostle, who could have said, I have been given this role by God, and what I say can be written down as scripture. And he even understood, if you're going to get there, God's going to have to be the one who gets you there. Because didn't he say earlier in 1 Corinthians, the beginning of it, don't say, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollo, so I follow Peter. No, the, the, we want, and you're going to see this tonight, we want, and God wants everyone to follow him. He's their master. He's their Lord. And he's trying to teach them how to recognize the leadership of the Spirit. And as you're going to see in just a little bit, he uses our consciences in that process to teach us how to recognize truth versus error. And that's more important. Romans chapter 4. Look at, I'm sorry, 14, Romans chapter 14, look at verse 4 now. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Don't miss that. When you pass judgment on your brother and sister in Christ, you're taking the role of their judge and their master, and whose job is it really? That's God's. I'm sure some of you have never liked it when somebody else corrected your children. You probably said, what? Those aren't your children. Those are my children. And I'm going to have the responsibility of raising them, not you. In the same way, God says, look, um, these are my children. I didn't give you the job to tell them how to live their lives. That's my job. I want you to point them to me. That actually, the Bible tells us real clearly that that's what the kind of preachers you should be following. Not preachers that say, do what I do and follow me. No, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 16, he said he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor, teachers, the, and, and the shepherds for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So that we'd all grow up into him who is the head. That's the whole point. Pastors should be teaching you how to walk with Jesus, how to hear from Jesus, how to feed on the word for yourselves. If you become followers of certain, so well, I follow so-and-so, he believes this, that's what I believe, you're in trouble because man could let you down. And we're, I'm still in a journey myself, learning as I grow. There are things that I used to teach that I would never teach now. I totally disagree with myself because I've grown. Back then, I believed it strongly, and I used to argue with you about it. I was showing how foolish I was. But at the same time, I'm still in a journey. Warren, would you agree as a good Bible teacher that you've got it all figured out? Never. We're, the more we learn, the more we realize we don't know as much as we thought we did. And we need to trust that that same God that's getting us where we need to go will get them there. And you've got to fight that desire to be God in everybody else's life. We'd actually be a lot more fun to be around if we didn't tell everybody else how they ought to live their lives like us. I think Facebook would shut down if no one could do that. I don't know. And as we encourage each other, we must remember that it's the Lord who's the one. And then what he's saying in the next verses, verses 5 and following, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day as a special day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who doesn't eat, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of those who have already gone to be with him and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Again, your job as a brother and sister in Christ is to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and you are to be pointing them to Jesus. And what's his word say? What is he saying to you? What is the spirit showing you how to apply that? And you do what the Lord's telling you to do. There are times, my kids will tell you, I've taught them this is how they're to live their lives. Yes, mom and dad have rules and mom and dad have opinions on certain things that we would like to see them do or not do. But we taught them early on that actually, if we just taught you rules, one day you'll no longer be under mom and dad's roof. And all of a sudden, you're going to want to run away from all that stuff. We'd rather you know how to hear from the Lord because He's going to guide you and keep you pure. And He's the one that's going to walk you through that. And so we've told our kids, if you can look us in the eye and say that even though we don't agree with your decision in a certain area, now that you're adults, if you can say, I believe God's saying I'm to do this anyway, if it doesn't contradict his word and what the Bible says is sin, even though we may not agree that it's a good decision, we're going to support you because we're more interested in you hearing from the Lord and walking with the Lord than we are you doing everything the way we would do it. That's kind of important, especially when you grow up and your kids grow up and they start raising their kids. Chances are they might not raise their kids the way you raised them. And you want to say, no, do it 
well, be careful. Whose job is it? We have to trust the Lord. Now, Paul then takes our understanding of this topic deeper. And he shows that God will not only use our consciences to show us our sin and our lostness, He'll also use our conscience to teach us how to walk with Jesus by faith. Now, let me just remind you of how Paul's already taught how God uses our consciences to, to lead us to faith. Go to Romans 2 again and look at verses 12 through 16. Paul's been laying out that uh, the Jews are guilty because they've broken the law of God. But then he goes on and he says this in Romans 2 verse 12. For all who have sinned without having the law like the Jews had, will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law, like the Jews, will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles, who don't have the law, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. If you remember back from our study in that passage of Scripture, Paul was showing that even those people in the world who have never heard the law of God and the Ten Commandments and thou shalt nots and whatever, they have a law that's been revealed to them. God has shown them, because he's put within each of us, in our consciences, a sense of right and wrong. What's interesting is if you go into a prison and you talk to murderers, they would say, well, yeah, I'm probably a bad person, but I'm not as bad as that pedophile. And they would never do that. Let me ask you a question, as I've asked before. Have you ever gone against what you sensed was right and wrong in your own conscience? We all have. And God used that conscience to show you that you're a lawbreaker. He wrote the, the, the truth of his law on all of our hearts. There is a God. There is an authority. There is right. There is wrong. Even though we live in a world today that tries to say, what's truth? What's right for you is right for me, not, might not be right for me, and so on. No, no, no. There is a right and wrong, and every one of us know it. And everyone's got that sense of right and wrong. And he uses their consciences to show them their lostness. Well, on top of that, God is still going to use the Holy Spirit, and our consciences for believers to teach us how to walk by faith. And for anyone who at that time feels something is a sin for them to do, then it would be a sin because they're going against their conscience and anything not done by faith in God is what? Is sin. Go back to Romans 14 and look at verse 23. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. We'll talk about that eating in a little bit. Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. God's wanting us to live our lives in full obedience to Him, and what we believe His Word has said and His Spirit within us has shown us, and we walk in obedience to that, because He wants us to follow Him. If you're not comfortable doing something and you feel it might be a sin, until God sets you free from that, you better not do it. Because it would be sin. It would be sin because you're not doing it by faith. You're doing it against your conscience. Start in verse 13 of Romans 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, 
but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love by what you eat. Sorry, you're not walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. This is a balancing act that we have to, for those of us who are strong in faith and mature, if we know that what we're doing is okay, we have to be careful that we're not doing it that it hurts our brother and causes them to stumble, which we're going to get to in a little bit. And at the same time, we also need to understand that even though they may think it's evil, we're okay because it's not. But we have to know how to live our lives so that we're not causing the brother to stumble, yet still living in the freedom that we have. We'll get to that in just a little bit. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. We're going to look at that in just a second. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. In other words, what you believe about these things, keep between you and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We have been for years, and as a pastor, I get this question asked a lot. Pastor, is this sin? What about this? Is this sin? And what, as you've heard me say before, well, a lot of times we're asking how close to Satan can we get without stepping over the line instead of how close to God can we get. But a lot of times I would ask people, how do you feel? What is the Spirit telling you? The fact that you're even asking the question means you're already uncomfortable with it. That should be telling you something. Chances are, if you're saying, is this sin, the Spirit of God in your conscience have already been telling you it is, but you're hoping that you'll get a hierarchy, a preacher, to say it's okay. I remember a lady who came into my office when I was a pastor in Chicago, and she said, Pastor, um... I know the Bible says that I'm not to divorce my husband, but I've met this guy at work and he just makes me feel so good. And I know God wants to make me happy, wants me to be happy. And I said, what's the spirit of God in you saying? Well, that's a different issue, she said. I just need you to tell me it's okay. Oh, how many preachers out there would want to step into the role of the Holy Spirit and say, it's okay or it's not okay, actually, my job is to teach her and everyone how to hear from the Lord. What does God's word say? And what is the spirit telling you? And if you aren't comfortable, you better not go down that road. Now, even though Paul knew from the Lord, look at verse 14. Paul said, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. He was a mature believer. He was a strong believer. But he also understood that if a weaker brother felt that it was sin to do something that he knew it was okay to do, he'd be sinning if he told his brother it's okay. You see the, the balance we have, the danger we have here. 
He also knew that if someone saw it as unclean, it would be a sin for them to do it. Righteousness in Jesus is not determined by what we do or we don't do. That's going to be shown us in a lot of scriptures in just a second. But by faith in Jesus' provision for our sin. Go with me to Mark chapter 7. As you're, I'm going to show you a few places that the scripture makes very clear that everything is clean if it's done in the proper way. Mark chapter 7, look at verses 14 through 23. And by the way, when I say everything, we're talking about trying to be righteous before God by what you eat or don't eat and don't drink and all that stuff. Look at Mark 7, 7 verses 14 through 23. And Jesus called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. By the way, isn't that interesting that many of us grew up in churches where they said you couldn't eat meat on Friday? We're going to see passages that actually, so you shouldn't have never been taught that. Jesus himself said, nothing that goes into you from outside can defile you. Yet some of you were taught that if you eat meat on Friday, you're in trouble. That's because you were being taught to follow man and not the spirit of God and his word. And, 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 he, and when he had entered the house, and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? I don't need to explain that to you anymore, do I? No potty tuck. All right. Thus he declared all foods clean. Don't miss that. That's going to be important. Just a second. Thus Jesus declared all foods clean there in Mark chapter 7. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 5. It says, now the Holy Spirit expressly says that in the later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, to the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. In other words, they're not even sensitive to their consciences anymore. Who forbid marriage. Aren't there people that were taught certain people aren't allowed to get married? And require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Again, if you feel like it's okay for you to ingest something, it's not going to make you holy or unholy. But there are some that still feel that doing certain things is wrong. They better not do it. And for those that feel comfortable in those areas, don't go flaunting your freedom because you've got brothers and sisters who aren't there. So you need to know how to live your life in obedience to the Lord in the freedom you have, yet not causing brothers and sisters to struggle in this area. That's why you've heard me say before, I could win an argument about how the Bible says it's okay to have a drink or two. Now, the Bible's very really clear about not getting drunk. 
But I also know that the Lord has said very clearly to me that in the role that I've been given, and also I think for many of us, not just for preachers, that we are to be very, very careful when it comes to alcohol because of the damage that it could cause and the, the people that would be bothered by it. And there would be those who, for that sake, I stay away from that. Am I free? Sure. Could I win an argument? Yes, but I'd be losing by the fact that I'd be arguing. But I am walking in obedience to what the Lord's told me in this area. I'm free, yet I give up my freedom for the sake of my brothers and sisters because of the role that God's given me. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Look at verses 16 through 23. I sure wish I had read my Bible when I was younger and being told that Sunday was the Sabbath and I wasn't allowed to play outdoors. We weren't even allowed to read the funny papers on Sunday until after church, and those were the best ones. Those were the ones that were in color. You remember the Sunday funnies were in color? Dude, as a kid, I couldn't wait. You guys with cell phones nowadays don't even know what I'm talking about, but the Sunday funnies were the big ones. Still are. Colossians 2, look at verses 16 and following. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism, that's abstaining from stuff, and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished, and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that's from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits or the principles of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Back in this day, when Paul was writing, you didn't have Walmarts and Publix to go grocery shopping. There was the marketplaces. And in the marketplace, there were some meat that was... And by the way, have you ever been to one of these parts of the world where they still have the open markets? And how you know what kind of meat it is, is the head is right next to that pile of meat, as well as the flies. And so we... I've, I've seen a few of them in my travels. Let me... And so... But in the marketplace, there were some meat that had just been sac, uh, killed and ready to sell. And that was more expensive than the meat that was already pre-cooked, because it had been offered to idols. And it was on sale in the market after that for a cheaper price. Well, being a good Walmart shopper, a lot of the Christians were going, hey, it's already cooked and it's cheaper. Let's buy that meat. Well, there were other Christians who were coming out of paganism. And they're like, that was offered to idols. You can't eat that. As you're about to see, Paul understood clearly, and hopefully we all understand, that there's no such thing as idols. There, there's no other gods but God. It was offered to the wind. But if it is making someone uncomfortable, don't eat it. Or don't eat it in front of them. Do you see what I'm saying? Go to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 1 through 6. 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Not only was there the problem of the Gentiles and those who were eating meat that was sacrificed to idols. If you remember from our study of scriptures, in the Jewish member, the Jewish were coming out of legalism and into the freedom of being under the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And if you remember, we've read a few times that the party of the circumcision, the circumcision party, the party of the Pharisees, would stand up in their church business meetings and say, the Gentiles have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses. And Paul and Barnabas would fight against them and say, no, 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 if you're tying circumcision to salvation, we're not going to let that happen. But there were groups in the church who were still trying to put people back under the law. And there were those in the church who were saying, Christians can't do anything that looked like it's tied to paganism. And your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit, and therefore, don't you think you better not have a vaccine, or don't you think you better eat better than you do? And all of a sudden, without realizing, we start becoming judges of our brothers and sisters using human reasoning, and don't you think, and folks, let me say this to you, that's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees took the Word of God where it says, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, and then they made up a bunch of rules to tell everybody else, in order to keep that, here's what you have to do or can't do. And we, without realizing it, have sat down next to a brother and sister and said, uh, Jim, I understand that a group of you guys eat at Wendy's on Tuesday night. And by the way, we do. Well, that's not good for your body. No, but it's quick and it's a little bit busy on Tuesday nights before we get here. And we enjoy the fellowship. But don't you think that's where we get ourselves in trouble? Folks, be careful of becoming one of those people that wants to tell everybody else how to eat and how to drink and how to do these things by using human reasoning. Don't. It depends, it depends on the night. Tonight I had a chicken. It was spicy, though, which was good. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And so here in this instance, he was saying, you got some people that are trying to tie salvation into what you do or don't do. That's when you speak up. Did you hear me? After salvation, if we're trying to help people just live better and do like I do, be careful. Don't go down that road. The Lord will get them where they need to be. At the same time, there were those who were tying these kinds of things to if you don't do these things, you're not saved. We should speak up in those instances. I don't have time to walk you through all the passages that talk about that, but the Bible's very clear. Write these down. Titus chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Galatians 5, 7 through 12. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, how we're saved by faith, not of works. So if there are people who are teaching the right and wrong things to do or not do or eat and not eat or circumcision or not circumcision, baptism or not baptism, in order to be saved, you need to speak up because they're perverting the gospel. But not everything when it comes to eating and drinking, we're free. 
we're, we're not more made righteous by what we eat or don't eat. We're made righteous by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, not every new believer fully understood this freedom right away. And many still struggled with moving into the freedom that we have in Christ. Listen, even Peter himself. Go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, look at verses 9 through 28. Acts chapter 10, verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, that's noon, to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice that came to him and the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Now this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate. And called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole of Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, He went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any persons common or unclean. Now hang on for a second. The first part, when Peter said, I've never eaten anything that's unclean was the law of God. God's law in the Old Testament had said that there were certain animals they were not allowed to eat. And I've heard too many preachers say, this is the first time that God called all meat clean. No. When Jesus said to Peter, what I've already called clean, don't you call it unclean? Jesus had already said it way back in the Gospels in, in Mark 7. But Peter had to be reminded. See, Peter was still moving from legalism into grace. He was still moving from the law into the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And even though he was born again, Peter, one of the apostles, was learning about his freedom in Christ. Oh, he started to fall back into it every now and then as Peter had to deal with when he wouldn't eat with the Gentiles in front of other people, even though God had already shown him this. But when he comes in and says it's unlawful for us to go into a Gentile's house, Did God's law say that it was unlawful them to enter into a Gentile's house? No, you're not going to find that. 
What that was, was one of those extra biblical laws that the Pharisees had made because they were to keep themselves clean and they were not to intermarry. So God would keep that pure nation for his purposes so that the Messiah would be a full Jew and all these things. But at the same time, guess what? They added to it with human reasoning and said, if you're to stay clean, you can't even go into their house. You can't touch anything they've touched. And Jesus had to show him that's not true. But if Peter was learning about his freedom, who was the one who got him there? It was the Holy Spirit and through his conscience. His conscience was pricked, but the Holy Spirit moved him from there. It wasn't someone in said, oh, no, Peter, it's okay. You can go in. It was the Holy Spirit that got him to that place. Do you see what I'm saying? And he's now learning to follow the Lord. Again, like I said, he's not going to be perfect at it. A little bit later, he's, he's going to be eating with Gentiles all the time. But when some people from the Jerusalem church show up who are still struggling with that whole legalism and freedom in Christ thing, Peter stopped pretending, sorry, stopped eating with, he acted like he didn't eat with Gentiles. And Paul said, uh, none of that stuff, you know. So here's what I want you to understand. If Peter was on a journey of coming to understand what it means to be free in Christ and the fullness of what God's teaching is, don't you think you and I would be too? And we need to trust that God's going to get us there in his timing and he's going to get them there. At the same time, learn to recognize if the spirit of God is giving you freedom. This, there's another whole level to this we don't have time to get into tonight. There's going to be in some instances the spirit of God says, I don't want you to do it. Other times he's going to say it's okay. And then he's going another time to say, in this instance, don't. You have to know when to eat and when not to eat. When to drink, when not to drink. You need to let the Spirit of God show you how to walk with Him. But that's another lesson for another time. And those who are strong and mature need to be patient with the weak in these areas and make sure we aren't telling them to go against their conscience. Go back to Romans 15. Romans 15. It would have been wrong for someone else to come to Peter and say, no, nah, it's okay. No, he needed to hear that from the Lord. Romans 15, look at verses 1 through 7. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Years ago, when I was pastor in Chicago, there was a lady who was a pastor of a church in the area of a different denomination who would come to me for counsel. Now, i got to be honest with you. Biblically, I don't believe the Bible teaches that a woman should be the pastor of a church. I believe the Bible teaches women can teach in the church. The Bible talks about the fact that when a woman prophesies in church, she should do it with her head covered. In other words, under the authority of the, the men who are in charge. If they've given her authority to speak, she's free to speak. But I don't believe the Bible teaches that women should ever have the role of pastor if that includes authority over men. The Bible's pretty clear on that in my estimation. But here was a lady who was a pastor of a church, 
And I could have easily said, I don't believe you should be in the pastorate, but that wasn't my role. So she would meet with me regularly and I would counsel her. And I waited for the Lord to get her to that place. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because he's the one that's going to take her into those areas. There's a discrepancy among churches when it comes to this issue. You need to be fully convinced in what you believe. But at the same time, I was more interested in mutual upbuilding and encouraging my sister in Christ, who knew the Lord. But she wasn't where I was. And it wasn't my job to get her there. It's the Lord's. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to have to do this quick. I know I can't. 1 Corinthians 8. Someone else is going to have to finish the lesson so we can get this done quick. 1 Corinthians 8. Look at verses 1 through 13. Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't know yet as he ought to know. Let me say that again. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't know yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods, small g, in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom all things are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And, by so, and, and so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I'll never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. If this brother is so feeling like it's sin... And I say, go ahead and eat it. And I make him go against what the Holy Spirit and the con his conscience is telling him. Because the Lord's trying him to teach him how to recognize the Spirit speaking. I'm sinning when I tell my brother it's okay. Even though I know it's okay. But listen, even though it is okay in the big picture, it's okay for me. But not for him at this point. Do you understand? Now, go ahead. That's a great question. At what point in time do you engage? Here's, here's, here's when you engage. This is a great question. Well, it's more than that. It's more than that. I'm glad you brought this up. By the way, if we're late, it's Sheila's fault, not mine. All right, so here's the deal. As we teach the word of God, will be an opportunity in classes. We sin by taking it further and telling everybody how to apply this. Let the Spirit take these truths and have them get there. Not because you said it or I said it. At the same time, there are going to be times when a brother or a sister may come and ask you. In those instances, when the Spirit allows, you then can share, I'm here because of what God's Word says in these passages. But then you leave them with, 
but you need to do what God's telling you to do. Folks, one of the biggest problems that we have right now when it comes to the church that I'm dealing with around the country is that many of us have passions and aspects of the Christian life that we feel strongly about and we're involved in those ministries, and we should be. Anti-abortion and all these different things. What's happening, though, is as each of us live out the obedience to Christ in our individual walks, we have become masters of everybody else and say, if you're not out on the street corner picketing out in front of the abortion clinic, you're sinning because you're, no, you're actually sinning by telling me I'm supposed to be there. Do you understand? Don't lose sight of what it is God's showing you and be involved in what he tells you to do, but be mature enough to know that God will be able to get there. And actually, you may be someone that doesn't feel comfortable with something somebody else is doing, and God may actually bring them back to you. That's okay. But leave, leave it to the Lord. Again, write this down later on. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-32. Paul goes on and talks some more about that. Once we have been saved by faith alone, as we encourage each other to grow, let's teach them to hear from Jesus through His Spirit in them as it lines up with His Word. And let's trust that God is able to get them there as He has with us as well. As well. And let's love each other. Listen closely. This is what we're going to close with tonight. Love each other patiently. In 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, we don't have time to turn there. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Encourage, rebuke with complete patience. When I was younger, I used to tell Becky when I come home from a sermon, I wanted to shake them. They weren't getting it. Well, guess what? I'm to preach it and be patient that the Lord will get him where he needs to be. And last week, Bill brought up a point about what does love look like. And I took it in a different direction than he was planning. And I realized afterwards he was talking about 1 Corinthians 13. Love is what? Love is patient. Go back and look at 1 Corinthians 13 and reread it. And he goes on in that whole section about it's kind gentle, and it bears all things, endures all things, love never fails. And you know what? Prophecies are going to cease, and all this stuff's going to come to an end, but what's going to hang on is love. Folks, I don't want you and I to be known as people who are the know-it-alls. I want people to say, those people love me. You live in obedience to the Lord and His Word and through the Spirit, and you stop trying to fix everybody else, and you watch God get glory through your local church and through all of us. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.